Awesome. Thank you, thank you. How's everybody doing this morning? It is good to be here. It's been a little bit of, a little bit of time, but uh, good to be back. For those of you that do not know me, I'm the, uh, the campus pastor at Zion Pickerington. So uh, yeah, come visit us. Come uh, to one of the conferences. Come hang out. We love to have fun. So uh, you guys ready for this morning? All right, I'm going to try to talk fast because I feel like I got a lot to cover and uh, I want to get you out of here on time here. So, all right, I'm going to talk about faith. And, you know, a lot of people, when they hear the topic of faith, they're like, oh, you know, been there, done that. I've heard every teaching. Um, Don't you know I grew up with Kenneth Copeland? Yada, yada, yada. And uh, I just feel like God is in a season where he's highlighting and he's bringing up these old wells and he's, he's uh, allowing us to redig them and causing us to take a look into areas of our life where we have just dismissed as we already know that. I don't know if he's doing that with you, but that's what he's doing with me. And so I've been stuck on this topic of faith for quite some time now. And uh, so this message that I'm going to preach uh, this morning is, is a hybrid of, of a few messages that I've done at Pickerington. Uh, just because I don't have time, I've started a, a faith series and I don't have time to, to go into the first part of it. I, I really uh, want to focus on what I feel like God is speaking for this morning. Um, Hebrews 11 is the faith passage in Scripture, right? Hebrews 11 is the faith passage. I just want to read something to you. Uh, It's verse 6. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You know, have you ever wondered or thought about it this way? The only thing that is impossible is without faith. Luke 137, it says that with God, all things are. So the only impossibility in when it w- is when there is an absence of faith. When faith is present, there is no impossibility. When faith is present, there is no way that it cannot, can, can go any other way than God's way. And that should be good news. Because the Bible says that with faith, the size of a mustard seed. You're like, well, I don't have a whole lot of faith. You don't have to have a whole lot of faith. All you have to do is have faith. And as you begin to grow your faith, as you begin to work out your faith, you ever wondered, uh, one of the gifts of the Spirit is the working of miracles. The way that you work miracles is working out your faith. It's not good enough to believe it. It's not good enough to receive it. It's not good enough to write it in your journal. There has to be an action to faith. Faith is a fact, but more than that, faith is an act. You can tweet that if you want. You have to work out your faith. It's like anything in life. The more that you are intentional about it, the more that you work on it, the more that it grows. It's not good enough for me to pay the monthly gym membership, which I do, and never go, which I don't. (laughs) I don't need counseled on how it's bad for my budget. I know it is. But for some reason, as long as I keep sending that payment, I feel good about myself. (laughs) And when people are talking about working out, it's like, yeah, I have a gym membership. But here's the thing. We do the same thing in church. Yeah, I have faith. 
I make the payment every week on Sunday, but I never exercise it. I never work it out. It's time to get into the gym with our faith. The way that we see greater miracles is to have greater faith. Working the faith out. So I'm going to talk about faith. The first thing you need to realize is that faith is a battle. Faith is a battle. Every time you move in faith, the enemy comes to move in opposition. Anybody ever realize that besides me? It's like the moment you step out of the boat, all of a sudden you feel like you're going to sink. The moment you take that first step of faith, the enemy comes against you because faith is a fight. The battle is not in the natural, the battle is in your mind. Because what the enemy does is he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And in this instance, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy your faith. Because we know if we have a faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. And the enemy knows if he can remove that mustard seed size faith, you can't do anything. And so he fights against that faith. And so our fight, our battle, our significance is in fighting to stay in that place of faith of standing firm on the word of God, the foundation of God, and, and against all opposition, against anything that would come against you, you can look in the face of the enemy and say, you know what, I'm not gonna believe that because this is the truth. This is what I'm standing on. The foundation that I'm standing on is not sand, it's the rock. And I will continue to stand on that rock of foundation. Faith is a fight. Here's what I've seen over the years and listening to, I love to listen to revivalists, uh, men who talked about faith. Smith Wigglesworth, uh, you know, he, he was a man that I think the only thing he preached about was faith. If you look up some of his old transcripts uh, of his messages and things like that, he, he preached about faith because he knew if he could get faith into the room, then something would happen. It doesn't matter how much faith comes into the room. All he knew is that faith, when faith entered into the room, heaven entered into the room. When faith broke through, heaven can break through. I want you to look at it like this. The miracles of God are like a freight train, and your faith builds the tracks. Where do you want the miracle? Where do you want the breakthrough? Where do you want the freight train of God to run into your life? Because what you've got to do is use your faith to build the tracks to the breakthrough. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 2. Are you guys okay? I feel like I'm talking a lot, but I'm, I'm trying to get a lot in a little bit of time here. The, the thing about faith is that we have to understand is obedience is key to faith. I love what Shambach says. He says, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Obedience is key to faith. No one likes to talk about obedience. No one likes to, to hear about obedience. We all know, yeah, we, we're supposed to be obedient to what God says. But it is foundational for our faith to be in action. And I'm going to prove it here. We want to look at the first miracle that Jesus ever performed. Do you think it's important 
to understand the makeup, the, the situation, the circumstance, the, the atmosphere, the climate in which the first miracle that the Savior of the world ever performed. It might be, there might be some keys into future breakthrough, future miracles, uh, future faith. And so that's what I want to do. And I, I feel like this is the blueprint to lay down the track for miracles. I'm in John chapter 2. It says, On the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. I want to stop right there. The first key when you read this passage, you know, most of you know this story. You know that the water has been turned into wine. If you don't know the story, then you probably heard the analogy. Water is being turned into wine. This is the first miracle that Jesus ever performed. But I want you to understand something. Jesus was invited. The scripture is explicitly says that Jesus was invited. Guess what? If Jesus is not invited, there will, no be, there will not be any miracle. The water will never be turned into wine. The healing will never happen. The cancer will never break through because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so for the author and the finisher to be there, he begins a work and he finishes the work. And so the key to seeing the breakthrough is the first thing you've got to do is invite Jesus. I love what Pastor Jim teaches in the healing training. He talks about this, taking the person to Jesus, putting them before Jesus. That's inviting Jesus into the situation, into the circumstance. And that's key for your faith. Because sometimes your faith is this big, but when Jesus comes, all of a sudden you feel like you've got a 10-foot angel behind you, and now your faith is rising up in you. You guys are quiet. I'm preaching myself happy. Jesus was invited. Now here's the thing. In every situation, we talk about intentionality. We talk about intentionality. It's a, it's a word that we throw around in our culture a lot. And, but it, it's so key because we have to be intentional in our invitation. Jesus will never violate your will. He set it up that way. He will never come without you asking. He will, not, he will not invade your space if you say, Jesus, here is my, my bubble. Don't come into my bubble. He only comes by invitation. And so where there is no invitation, he will not come. We have to be intentional in inviting him, not just in our lives, inviting him in our homes, inviting him in a circumstance, inviting him in a situation, inviting him in your car and your morning drive to work, inviting him, releasing the invitation. Jesus told a parable, and it was the parable of the, uh, uh, where he sent out the wedding invitations. You remember this one? He sent out the wedding invitations, and no one responded. Jesus will always respond to your invitation, even if you don't respond to his. He will always respond to your invitation, even if we fail to respond to his invitation, inviting him. Jesus always shows up. Now, let me keep reading here. I just read verse 2. I want to read verse 3. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, 
You try and say that to your mama and see what happens. I don't know where you come from, but my mama give me a swift smack upside the head. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, this is, the, this is the key verse that I want you to remember. If you remember anything that I say this morning, I want you to remember this verse. Verse 5, and his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, the mother of Jesus, how many of you know mama's got some wisdom? Jesus said, what does this have to do with me? My time has not come. My hour is not yet. And it, you can almost get this sense of Jesus' mom snapping her fingers and says, I don't care. Do what he says. Now, this is the key to our faith, is obedience. This is an important lesson for us and for the disciples who were there witnessing what was, was about to take place. The basis of faith is obedience. When it comes down to it, here's the phrase that you, you, you remember, do whatever he says. I'm not talking about following the rules and regulations of a, of a corporate church setting. I'm talking about the rhema word of God in your life. Do whatever he says. Do whatever he tells you. Because what he tells you is the blueprint for a breakthrough. What he releases to you, the word of the Lord to your life, the rhema word of God to you is the blueprint for a breakthrough. That's what Jesus is doing here. It's what Jesus' mom is doing. Do whatever he tells you. Now, here's, here's the key is they knew what they wanted. They knew what they were out of. They were out of wine. They wanted wine. They were out of it. It was gone. It couldn't be any more gone than it was. They were out of wine. Now, here's, here's the key is you have to know what you want. I can see that went over like a lead sandwich. You have to know what you want. Do you understand that? You have to know what you want. You know, you know, as pastors, we pray for people all the time, and people will come up, and it's like, oh, what would you like prayer for? Whatever the Lord wants. Next person. <laughs> Whatever God wants to do, that's what I want. God is asking you, what do you want? I grew up in a... In a uh, Pentecostal background. Both of my grandpas were, were Pentecostal preachers. And, and so we grew up in church and there was this thing about unspoken requests. Anybody remember that? Who has an unspoken request? And it was like the next week, who's got an unspoken request? And 90% of the room would raise their hand. And the next week, the same amount of people. And every week, there would be the same people with the same unspoken request. And it, 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 it occurs to me that the reason they are not, uh, the requests are not granted is because they're unspoken. You want to know why your prayers aren't answered? Because you've not spoken them. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Tell him what you want. Tell him. Put a target on the area in which you need breakthrough and you're looking for breakthrough. Slap a target on it and say, right here, God, this is what I want. You have to know what you want. 
It's like, if you don't have questions for God, you'll never recognize the answers when they come. You have to know what it is. Faith cannot be the means to the end of something. You just have faith. If you have faith for cancer to be healed and cancer is healed, where is your faith now? Faith is not circumstantial. Faith is foundational. Know what you want. Know what you want. This is the attitude of faith. You got to get a little... Got to get a little tenacious with it. You got to get a little attitude. Anybody ever had a little attitude? You got to get a little attitude with it. Get a little sassy. It's the assurance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the assurance of things not yet seen. That word substance, you can trace it back, and it means evidence you can legally take to court. Faith is the evidence that you could present a legal case that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. That is what faith, that's the substance of faith. It's your evidence that you can lay, you can smack it down on the ground and say, look at that devil. He is who he said he is, and he will do what he said he will do. Get a little attitude with it. You know, I love, I love the story of blind Bartimaeus, and every time I think about the attitude of faith, I think about blind Bartimaeus. You guys know the story about blind Bartimaeus? Now, I don't know if you do this with Scripture, but I do this sometimes, and, and I, I love it. It, 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 it. God just speaks to me by doing this, and, and I'll, I will think about the the context i will think about the person not just the context of what is written but the context of the person in that situation what caused them to react the way that they reacted we know blind bartimaeus he shouted out he he was very fervent in getting the attention of jesus well you know what i think i think that somebody came to blind bartimaeus about two weeks two or three weeks before you guys follow me listen this is not doctrine this is josh all right Somebody came to blind Bartimaeus two or three weeks before and like, hey, hey, blind Bartimaeus, you got to hear this, man. I was in this other city buying supplies and I saw a blind man healer. I saw him spit in the ground and make mud and rub it on this dude's eye and he, he received his sight. He'd been blind from birth. But this blind man healer, he laid hands on this man and he received his sight. Do you know how awesome that is, blind Bartimaeus? And you can see the faith beginning to build in blind Bartimaeus. You mean to tell me there's a, there's a blind man healer out there? You mean to tell me that I don't have to live blind the rest of my life? You mean to tell me that there is, there is hope, there is a glimmer that I don't have to sit here shaking this tin can, asking for begging and begging for money for the rest of my life? You mean there's hope? Blind Bartimaeus, I'm telling you there's hope. I saw it with my own eyes. There is a blind man healer. What's his name? Tell me what his name is. His name's Jesus. If Jesus comes to your town, you better make sure, get to him, whatever you can do, because he heals the blind. 
And you can imagine for, for two or three weeks, blind Bartimaeus rocking back and forth, shaking that can like he's always shaked it. But this time, there's a little bit of anticipation. There's a mustard seed size of faith. He's shaking that can. And every conversation, remember, he's blind. Every conversation, every ruckus in the city, every, every time that there's, there, there's a crowd beginning to gather and he's hearing voices, who is it? Who's there? Oh, it's just the politicians. Oh, it's just the, the military coming back from a battle. Who is it? Who is it? Who's there? It's Jesus, the son of David. Something rises up in blind Bartimaeus. And he begins to shout. The Bible says that he threw down that tin cup. He lifted his voice and threw it in the direction where Jesus was at. And he said, Jesus! Over here, man! Have mercy on me. I heard that you're a blind man healer, and I am blind. People are, people are telling him, sit down, Bartimaeus, sit down. Here, here's a quarter, stop. You're being too loud. You're causing too much ruckus. No, you don't understand. I heard a testimony. He's a blind man healer, and he's going to heal me. He knew what he wanted, and there was an attitude of faith. He didn't sit on his stool there waiting for God to come to him. Most people in the church were sitting on their pews, and God knows where I am. If God has a blessing for me, then he knows my address. If God wants to touch me radically and give me an encounter, he knows where I live. He only comes by invitation. And there has to be an attitude that you, how bad do you want it? It's not good enough to just have the attitude. There has to be a desire. So blind Bartimaeus, he's shouting. He's, he's, he's saying, Jesus, over here, man. And I love what the Bible says. It says, Jesus stopped. He stopped. And he said, bring him to me. And you can see the disciples, they run over. They said, have, have faith and be of good cheer. This is the last day you'll ever have to be blind because everyone that comes before Jesus gets healed. There was an attitude of faith that laid the tracks for the miracle. There was an attitude of faith that laid, that paved the way for God to break through. And it wasn't just somebody sitting on the side of the road or sitting in their spiritual couch waiting for God to call their number waiting for a breakthrough to drop in their lap, waiting for a miracle to just happen. Do you understand that the city will never be changed by people who are waiting for God? The city will be changed by people who grab hold of his coattails and follow him all across the city. Who ride on the wings that he has, releasing the breakthrough over the city. It will not come to those who are spiritually stagnant. It will not come to those who are not anticipating. The father is on the edge of his throne with anticipation, waiting for the outpouring he wants to release through you. He's in anticipation and we're sitting on our couch waiting for him. 
But he's already paid the way. He's already paid it. He's already made every spiritual blessing in heavenly places available to each of us. He's waiting for us to apprehend, to grab hold of everything that he's promised us. There has to be an attitude of faith. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. You guys okay? I'm really happy. I don't know if it seems like I'm... I'm just super passionate about this. Now I want to keep reading here. Verse 6, it says, Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Now I want you to picture something. Again, don't just read the verse. Think about the context. You know, they didn't have a spigot right outside the house where they could just fill up 30 gallons. You realize that, right? There's one well. They're running out to the well with a 20 or 30 gallon pot. I don't know, maybe they, you know, it, it draw, you can draw up two gallons, five gallons at a time. For each one, that's six trips just to fill up one jar. They've got six. 36 trips to the well. 36 trips to the well, conservatively. Think about that. It's, it's not an instantaneous thing. There's an act to faith. It's the working of faith. It's the working of faith. It will cost you something. It'll cost you a little sweat. It'll cost you a little sweat equity. You guys ever heard that term? A little bit of elbow grease. It'll cost you something. Fill the water pots with water. Now I want you to understand, this is the action of faith. There's obedience of faith. This is the action. The actual filling up of the pots with water. It's the action of faith. Now I heard a story from, uh, from a revivalist and this was probably in the 80s, somewhere around in there. But this, this revivalist, he, he had this crazy story. So he was preaching this revival. I think it was in Pennsylvania or somewhere. Preaching this revival, a lady comes up to him with a piece of candy and sticks it right in his hand. And he says, thank you, I like candy. And she said, it's not for you. He's like, well, you, you gave it to me. Why, why isn't it for me? And he, he, uh, she said, I want you to wear it. He says, wear candy? I don't wear anything but clothes. Why? What, what do you mean wear candy? And this, he, this lady, the way that he tells the story, this lady was very adamant that he would wear this candy. And come to find out, you know, she, she finally told him the story that her sister had been in an insane asylum for 30 years. And she wanted him to, to pray for this piece of candy and she was going to send it to her sister. And he says, well, I, that's what I have prayer cloths for. She says, I have your prayer cloths. Um, T.L. Osborne sends me your prayer cloth, sends me prayer cloths. I, I, have, I have prayer cloths. And he, he says, well, take my handkerchief. And she said, I don't want your handkerchief. And he says, doesn't it work? And, and, and she says, yeah, it works. But my sister, when I would send her mail, they screen her mail and they know what those cloths are and they throw them away before she ever gets them. But I talked to the nurse, and they said, if I can, I can give her candy. I can send her candy. 
So she said, we're going to put one over on the devil. She said, if God's power can go with a cloth, then God's power can go with candy. He's like, you know, you know, you know what I said? Give me that candy. So he stuck the candy in his pocket and he preached a revival and it was the power of God broke out. Miracle signs and wonders, he preached the revival. At the end of the service, you know, I don't know if you've ever sweat with a piece of candy in your pocket. It's not quite pleasant. But he, he takes it out and he gives it to her and he says, send it to your sister. Six months later, he comes back to the same town and this lady comes, these two ladies come up and and, uh, and she, she greets herself and she says, hi, how's it going? This is my sister. And so he's like, hi, hi, sister, nice to meet you. And, uh, and she says, no, don't you understand? This is my sister. And he, so he took a step closer and he grabbed her by the hand. He says, nice to meet you, sister. And, uh, and she said, no, I, you don't know who I am. I'm the one who gave you the candy. And he says, and this is your sister? And he said, yes, this is my sister. And so he, he stopped everything and he said, I've got to hear this story. And so she, she begins to tell the story. She says, you know, after that revival, she sent the piece of candy to, to her sister in the insane asylum. And the moment that she bit into that piece of candy, she bit into the power of God and was delivered of demons right there. After 30 years, she comes into her right mind. The doctors are freaking out. They run tests on her for 15 days. They brought in this doctor. They brought in this specialist. They brought in this analyst, and they could not figure out what was going on. So about 15 days after running tests, they call up the sister, and they say, you need to come pick up your sister. And she says, what do you mean I need to pick up my sister? She's been in there for 30 years. Is she dead? No, we don't understand what happened. She's completely in her right mind. This is the action of faith. Faith is not always logical. Faith does not always make sense. Faith does not always fit in, in, into our little box of what Christianity and faith looks like. Faith sometimes looks radical. It sometimes looks edgy. It sometimes looks more than what you could ask or think. But when you move in it, power follows. So when that woman bit into that piece of candy, she bit. It wasn't just the candy. It was the faith in action behind the candy. When she bit into that candy, she bit into the power of God. Because faith was in action. You know, he says, here I am, a preacher of the, the gospel of Jesus, and I'm trying to hinder her faith. Whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. Faith is an act. I said this earlier, but faith is a fact. Jesus healed the man in the synagogue. There's an action of faith. We've been talking about there's an action of faith. When Jesus healed the man in the synagogue, you know, he goes into the synagogue and all of the Pharisees are wondering, is he going to heal on the Sabbath? He put their minds to ease real quick. He finds the only person in the room that needs healing and walks right up to them. And it was the man with the withered hand. Jesus looks at him, stand up. Yes, sir. Do whatever he says. Stretch out your hand. 
stretches out his hand, completely made whole. Nowadays, you know, somebody, somebody comes up for prayer and, or, you know, you pray for someone who's sick or needs a miracle and, and they, they, wait a second. I just want you to know, to discourage you or whatever it might do, <laughs> that I've been prayed for for 20 years and I've not received my miracle. This apostle has prayed for me. This evangelist has prayed for me. I mean, imagine that guy in the synagogue doing that to Jesus. Uh, Brother Jesus, just, just want you to know, I've been with a withered hand for 20 years. John the Baptist prayed for me last week and nothing happened. <laughs> Give it your best shot. Can you imagine standing before Jesus and that being your attitude? Do you want the miracle? What do you want? If you just want everybody to look at you, mission accomplished. But if you truly want breakthrough, then you come to the king expecting. You come to the king with your mustard seed sized faith. No matter how big or how small it is, you come expecting the miracle. This is for those who have been in sickness for years, but this is also for those who feel like they are called to a healing ministry, which is everybody in the room. When you pray for the sick, you don't pray wishing and hoping. We believe in hope, but hope is not what moves mountains. Faith is. And for faith to be solid, you've got to act. You may not be able to take that first step, Faith will allow you to take that first step, and then every step after that, Jesus will help you. But he's waiting for you to take that first step. Do whatever he says. Faith does not dialogue with doubt. When God says something, don't begin to argue. You know, Jesus, he told him, fill the water pots with water. They didn't begin a dialogue and say, Jesus, um, I don't know if you remember, but we don't need water, we need wine. Faith does not dialogue with doubt. Faith does not tangle in the affairs of civilians, as it says in Timothy. A soldier does not tangle in the affairs of a civilian. You are, have been sent on military assignment to destroy the works of the devil. You cannot wander into that haphazardly. You can't move into that timidly. It's a bold step of faith, and he will help you with every single step after that. There is grace. There is mercy after you take that first step. Some of the most difficult situations that I've been in, in different countries and here in Pickerington, I've had to step out. Sean could probably tell you stories too. Having to step out in faith. And when you step out, not knowing this could go really good or really bad. But you have to be okay with that. There has to come a point where there is no plan B. If there's a plan B, it's not faith, it's hope. If there's a plan B, there's, it's not faith, it's hope. 
I hope this happens or I wish this happens. Hope is good, but like I said, hope does not move mountains. Faith does. For you to move mountains like you were called and you're destined to do, you've got to move in faith. You've got to activate your faith. You've got to work your faith. You've got to step out, take a risk, be bold. It's the action of faith. Now we see, if we keep reading, we see the manifestation of the faith. The manifestation of the faith. When did the water turn into wine? Think about it. When did the water turn into wine? Did it turn into wine when they brought the water from the well? No. It did not turn into wine until Jesus said, dish it out. If your action of faith, you don't see the manifestation with your action, it's time to get a little bit more bold with your action. If you don't see the manifestation with the action that you're doing, it's time to get a little bit more bold with your action. It's time to, to, to take another step. It's time to leap a little further, to jump a little higher. It's time to move. And here's, here's what these guys did. They could have filled the water pots with water. They could have sat, circled chairs around it and sat there all night and it would have never turned into wine until they dished it out and they made a bold act of taking it to the master of the feast. Drink this. Tell me what you think. Do you see how bold that is? It's the manifestation of faith. If you're not seeing the manifestation, step up the boldness. Step up the faith. Take another step. God's not leading you with a carrot on the stick. There's actually breakthrough in where he's taking you. And the, the, the little step that you have to take this time will, will be the leap that you take next time. Because with every circumstance, with every situation, your faith gets a little bit bolder because you're working it. Work it, baby. You're working your faith. You're working your faith. So every situation, it gets a little bit easier and you can get a little bit more bold. Don't be worried, you know, don't be concerned with, with jumping 20 feet the first time. Take the first step. Take the first step this time and work into a place where you're leaping 20 feet in boldness. Does that make sense? It's the action of faith. We're not sitting around waiting for the manifestation of it. I'm tired of waiting for manifestation of, the, of our faith. It's time to step up the boldness. It's time to step up the intensity. He already paid for the manifestation. It's on my end. The water became wine when Jesus said, dish it out. That's a bold, risky move. Take it to the master of the feast. You understand that, that this was a prominent person and probably the governor or the mayor of that city or that town was at this feast. And so when he tasted and when he realized that they had saved the best wine for last, it made an impact. We'll get to that in a minute. When we step up the boldness and faith doesn't look logical, it reminds me of Naaman the leper. 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman the leper. 
He, he went to the king. For those of you that don't know Naaman, he was the, the general of the army of the enemy of God. The enemy army. He was the general. He goes to his, the king of Syria. He gets permission. He has leprosy. He's tried. He's paid this money. He's hired this doctor. He's done this. He's done that. He's rubbed essential oils on it, and nothing will work. <laughs> nothing will work. So he goes to the king of Syria, and he gets permission to go into enemy territory. I want you to understand the audacity of this, to go into enemy territory based on the word of a little girl. Naaman had taken a, a servant into his own house to serve his wife. And this little girl, she, she looked at Naaman, who was, was crippled with leprosy, and said, I wish to God you were in my city. There's a prophet there that will lay hands on you, and that's, that leprosy will be gone. Yeah. Imagine the audacity, the faith of that little girl as a servant to speak to her master like that. And, it was, it, and imagine the honor of Naaman. He honored his servant girl enough to go to his king and get permission to go into enemy territory to meet this man she was talking about. So Naaman, he gathers up his horses, he gathers up chariots, he gets however much gold and silver the Bible talks about. There's, there's a bunch there. He gets all of that stuff at, at, a, at this large caravan and he travels all the way to Samaria. Samaria to find this prophet. Long story short, Naaman is in front of the house of, of Elisha and he sends his servant, go, go, get the, go get the prophet. So Naaman's servant goes, knocks on the door and Elisha's servant, Gehazi, he answers the door. And Elisha had gotten word that Naaman was coming and he needed healed of leprosy. And I, I just love Old Testament prophets. They're just bold. And, you know, this, here, here's the, the general of the, the enemy of God. And he had traveled a very long distance to get to his house. And he, he's literally like, it doesn't say this, but it's like he's napping. It's like he's taking his Sunday nap and he, he can't even get up and go to the door. So he sends his servant. And, and so... Long story short, his servant um, Gehazi comes to Elisha and says, it's Naaman, uh, he has leprosy, uh, he wants healed. And he says, go tell him to jump in the lake. Um, I can't tell him that. Well, then he's not going to get healed. Because whatever he says, do it. Go jump in the lake. So Gehazi goes out to Naaman's servant and says, um, you're not going to like this, but... Uh, he says, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. So servant goes back, tells Naaman. Naaman is appalled. We have, we have fresh spring water back where I come from. I'm going to dip it in that dirty, nasty, muddy mess. That's what he said. Whatever he says, we better do it. He brought all this gold and silver. He thought he could buy his miracle. He didn't have to buy it. All he had to do was be obedient. You don't have to buy it. All you got to do is be obedient. So you can see the, the general, he's probably embarrassed. He has to hop down in this swamp and dip his infected leprosy in the water seven times. 
is to take off all of his armor. Sometimes faith causes you to lay down your pride. Sometimes faith causes you to lay down all that you thought you were and all the significance you thought you had. You put it aside and you move in faith because that's what he said to do. So he dips it one time, two times, three times, and he starts to get a little tired. He says, you know what? This isn't working. It's getting more infected. Let's pack up and go home. And his servant said, you know what? You're halfway there. You might as well keep going. Okay, dips it, dips it five times, six times, seven times, comes up baby smooth skin. It's the manifestation of faith, and it doesn't look logical. Dip it in a muddy swamp. Dip it in a muddy river. It doesn't look logical. Faith is not logical. So Jesus has them dish out the wine. They pass it out. And he saved the good wine for last. I'm wrapping up here. This is the completion of faith. The miracle is happening. The water has been turned into wine. They are dishing it out and passing it out to every person at the wedding, right? It's the completion of the miracle. Here are some things. I, I want to just read the rest of this, uh, just a few verses here, and then I want to show you what the completion of faith looks like. So... Now draw some water out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water now became, that had now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of signs that Jesus at Can did at Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed him. So I want to talk, I want to just bring up four points here. The completion of faith faith brings God's best, faith will always bring God's best. The faith did not bring poor wine. Hello? It, it did not bring, it did not activate the crappy stuff. His faith activated God's best. When your faith moves, God doesn't half-heartedly move towards you. He gives you the best. Your faith brings out his best. And he saves the best wine for last. I could preach for an hour on that right there. Saves the best wine for last. It's the new wine of his spirit. Faith begats faith. Did you hear me? Faith begats faith. Doubt begats doubt. Fear begats fear. Whatever you release around, whatever you release in you will be manifested around you. Because Jesus released faith, it's, it, it's the, his disciples had faith now. You understand that when faith brings God's best, everyone at, at the wedding got to drink. Everyone got to drink but not everyone had to have faith. 
The faith is what enables the people around you to experience the blessing of God freely. The faith released through you, you moving in faith, is what enables everyone around you to experience the blessing of God, to experience the miracles of God. It enables them to taste and see that he's good. Your faith does that. Because Jesus performed the signs, his disciples believed. It says, verse 11, this is the first of signs Jesus did at Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the first mention in the New Testament where his disciples actually believed him. Up until this point, they just followed him. They didn't necessarily believe in him. Do you see that? Up until this point, some of us were just following, but we're not believing. Ouch. Faith in the realm of the miraculous glorifies God. I just read it, verse 11. The signs that Jesus did manifested glory. It glorifies God. It releases the glory of God. The point that I want to just wrap up with is that we are to lay claim to every promise of God. If the Bible says, ask and it will be given, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. Each of those things describes an action that releases a reaction. A cause that releases an effect. The cause, ask. The effect, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. God will never give you a cause without an effect. God will never give you a cause without an effect. Every obedient act towards God and with God will release the miracles of God. There is no tame act of faith. There is no tame act of faith. So if you get anything, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that each and every person, whether you feel it or not, you have a measure of faith. Your job is not to just be satisfied with the measure you've been given. Your job is to increase the measure that you've been given. Everything about you in the kingdom is about stewardship. In the kingdom, stewardship doesn't mean to maintain something. Stewardship means to bring it into increase. What would it look like for your faith to be stewarded to where your faith is constantly in perpetual increase? Because that's the definition of stewarding your faith. It's the definition of stewarding the kingdom. It's perpetually in increase. He 
You guys are so quiet. Oh, that's why it's afternoon. <laughs> so if you get anything, I think I just said that, but if you get anything again, <laughs> obedience is key. Do whatever he says. If God tells you to do something, do it. Maybe the title of this message should be just do it. <laughs> Nike stole it from God. No, Nike stole it from Jesus' mom. <laughs> All right, why don't you guys stand? <laughs> Piece of candy. It's funny. <laughs> I hope that you guys have been encouraged and not discouraged. You know, we, we can hear things about faith. We can hear things about the, the product or the, the, uh, the end result of faith in action and be discouraged with not having as much faith as that. But you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start with your family. You've got to start with your household. You've got to start with your waiter, your waitress, and begin to take that step out in faith. Because if you believe, think about this, if you believe that God heals every sickness, every disease, and delivers every person who has ever been oppressed, what does it look like to act on your belief? If I believe that, that means any person with cancer that steps in front of me, my hand is going on them. Any person with a sickness or a disease, if I truly believe that, then I will go out of my way. I will move heaven and hell to get to that person because something has to happen. That's the tenacity of faith. I cannot put my hands on this person without something happening. And that's how you're called to be. That's what you're called to carry. So, Father, we just thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you paid the ultimate price so that we can not just sit in a pew on Sunday mornings, but so that we can have faith to move mountains, so that our faith will make the sick person well. Our faith will heal the sick, deliver the oppressed. The blind eyes will see, deaf ears will hear. God, we thank you for the miracle of our faith. We thank you for the deposit, the seed of faith that you put in every single person. So we speak to that seed and we say blossom. We speak to that seed. We, we say increase over you in Jesus' name. We speak to that seed. God, I just pray radical boldness over every single person. God, we want to see miracles in the city. We want to see a city saved, but we first have to move in faith. So we thank you, God, that you are stirring hearts this morning. You are stirring hearts with passion. You are stirring hearts with tenacity. God, that faith is rising up on the inside, that our spirits are saying, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. So we speak to those mountains in the city and we say, be cast down in Jesus' name. Let the people of God arise in faith to move mountains in Jesus' name. Amen.